Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We'd ask that our lives would be constantly thinking of the things you have done for us and among us. We're very grateful for the friendships we have, the fellowship. We especially ask you to be with the Jeffreys as they go on uh, to get established in Newburgh again. Uh, draw them into the company of believers that is good. Thank you for your word this morning. In your son's name, amen. Last week, I was, uh, I spoke about, I think, minding your own business, something along those lines. And we had a guest that week um, visiting, and he expressed to me later that he uh, wondered to what extent do we get involved and how we get involved in other circumstances. There's all sorts of potential passages about the saints gathering gifts for Jerusalem in the famine, things like that, where you move on and you, you try to reach out past yourself. I had that on my mind as I was thinking about the scriptures this morning. and uh, um, The difficulty was, and I, I don't think we can perhaps stress enough where the centerpiece of the Christian life is. What was that? We had Wine Wisdom and Song, good bunch, Wine Wisdom and Song, uh, Friday night. Uh, Phil asked a question. At the end of it, it said something like, can we settle once for all what the Christian life is all about? I think that was the, the, the sum of it. That might not be the exact wording. The more you look at the Christian life, the far, far less you see corporate, institutional, movement-driven advice. The less you see the things that, that we build the American church around, success as a church, and as I thought about it, this passage in Mark 12 came to mind. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. <coughs> Phil.
famous passage. You've, sent, you've all read it before, and I've probably even heard sermons about it. But sometimes it takes thinking about the passage along a line that you don't normally ask of the passage. Not that it, it destroys the other meanings, or, or, but from what I was thinking about last week, I was thinking, where does the obedience to these things occur? What is the Christian life involving itself, and in what arena is the Christian life involving itself in these things? We say the greatest commandment. Now, for those of you who are not Old Testamenty, a lot of people believe, they're pretty sure these are in the Ten Commandments. Neither one is in the Ten Commandments. The greatest, first and greatest commandment of the Old Testament is not in the Ten. Um, the first one comes from Deuteronomy 6, the second comes from Leviticus 19. Um, and uh, he pulls them out essentially as unique and a unique approach to what an Old Testament scholar would have thought. The greatest commandment is not stopping crime, giving to the poor. It's not, what else could you think of doing? Stuff, going on to the mission field. It's not, it's not becoming a worldwide evangelist. Your greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love him. And at the point of you, what is the nature of that you loving him? All of these things, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Right there you've got a huge, huge obligation. And it can only be met by you, in you. Right? It's not something we can all get together and throw together enough energy that we, you know, we could, we could do this. We could help some needy, need situation in town. We could pool our resources like they did in Acts and help each other out. Yeah, those are all good things. But the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God. At this level, complete giving over. I have the word used here is agapao, um, you shall love. It has to do with a welcome, to entertain, to love dearly. You are focused on this. You know when you have a house guest that you really care about. Not the one that you don't care about. Not the great aunt Ethel who is a burden to everyone. But no, old friends who are coming to visit, and you're willing to cancel everything you were doing normally with your life to spend time with them. To do the things you all enjoy doing. You welcome them. You are dear. They are dear to you, and so you are dear to them. You are faced with them and their needs. That's the kind of love. And we're wanting that kind of love in every aspect of our being. 
if you think of heart in terms of your, the very center of your identity, your soul. Now Christ adds mind to this. Mind is not in the Old Testament quote. Um, he's sort of broken up understanding into two categories. Uh, the, 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 the scribe who answers him, he has heart, understanding, and strength. And Christ has soul and mind as two different arenas. Do what you will with that. But do something with that. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Both of these commandments have to do with love. And I am supposed to be so taken up with God, learning about him, enjoying him, that when I turn to my neighbor, you might say that first degree of separation from you. They're not your family. You know, you ever notice how people, even if they don't like each other in a family, still are very tight as a family. That family love takes care of a lot of things. But neighbors are sort of that first degree of separation from yours. That which is your own. You give everything that is your own to God. You, with everything that is you, you love God with. And that makes the kind of being that is able to look in increments away from you with the kind of love you're supposed to have. To love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you ever think about these sorts of, you know, nice little distinctions. You love your neighbor as yourself after you have loved God with everything yourself is. Okay? The everything I have, heart, soul, mind, strength, all of that, in all aspects of that, is given over to loving God. A new self is there. So when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, we are presuming you've obeyed the first greatest commandment. You made yourself different. But that doesn't mean that you run out to the far reaches of the world unless you want them to be your neighbors. You're just looking for the first person that you meet. It is a natural thing for you to love them. Now, The Lord says these two things are the greatest. They are the greatest things you could be. Now, admittedly, this is in the life of Christ. This is not after his atonement, after his resurrection, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, where the new covenant comes into play. He's talking to Jews out of the Jewish law. But nonetheless, he said nothing was greater. And he picked two laws that had to do with love. You shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor. When the guy responds to Christ, the scribe responds to Christ and goes, yeah, that's right. I like that, Jesus. Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. The 
This is the road, in other words. The kingdom of God is at the end of this road. You want to be on this road. You want to be in this situation where your labors, when you wake up in the morning, far greater things will be done by you for the kingdom of God if you decide to love the Lord your God every morning. And you're going to say, I'm going to love the person I run across today. The customers that come into my shop, my wife, my kids, everybody. I want to be changed by my love for God. I want to have a self that is a person who is loving God in how I think and how I function. And I want to be loving to the people around me. If you want to be en route to the kingdom of God, you are this scribe is not far. He's considering that this is right. That, that's sort of minimal uh, acquiescence to what Christ says. Probably pretty unusual for Christ to get that kind of, of uh, agreement from the scribes. But, but as, I, as I thought about this, again, this is a passage you have read before. I went back to look at the Leviticus 19 passage where the second greatest commandment occurred. It's a great uh, section. Um, it, it helps lay out the very, it's one of those, he pulls the greatest second greatest commandment out of the second half of a verse. first half of the verse is about not taking vengeance or holding a grudge but he, he's able to his knowledge of the, of the law of Moses he's able to find that second half of the verse you shall love your neighbor as yourself so I, I was reading that passage as it's down in verse uh, 18 of Leviticus 19 and I read kept reading back and back and back and back for context so I thought I'd start with verse 1 of chapter 19. I wanted to see where this sat. Was it just sort of arbitrarily pulled out of the Old Testament as a meaningful thing to the New Covenant Christians because it's about love? Or does it really match with what God is up to in all of us? The Lord said to Moses, Say to all the congregation of the people of Israel, You shall be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. The passage quoted in 1 Peter. We are supposed to be wanting the path to the kingdom, the way of being holy, not defined by your church, not defined by some famous Christian book you read, but defined by our God, as he is holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now I want you to notice that. That's what I bolded out through the next few verses. I am the Lord your God. Verse 4, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Talking to the watermen last night about 
idolatry, not because they were interested in idolatry. But uh, we as humanity tend to be, we like having visuals. We want to have a God we can see and touch, a God we can locate in a particular town and go to the temple and observe things. And it doesn't matter if it's a false God or the true God, you're not supposed to be making molten images of gods. But he reminds us at the end of each of these texts, each of these suggestions, each of these commandments, I am the Lord your God. The actual is I am Yahweh your God. If I were keeping, and it's this whole first section here down through the end of it, is reminding us that we have Yahweh as our God. Because love for people, which, you know, you get the most, you get the Dalai Lama, you get other viewpoints. Everybody thinks love is great. Now, nobody binds that. Wouldn't it be great if we just loved each other? That's all, just loved each other. This is why the first commandment has to be the first commandment first. You have to be going through life going, I know that Yahweh is my God. I know He is my God. Because I have been loving Him with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. The reminder that you have a God that is God always drags you back away from false religion keeps you doing basic things like revering your mother and father verse 5 when you offer a sacrifice or peace offerings to the Lord you shall offer it so that you may be accepted it shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the morrow and anything left over until the third day shall be burned with fire if it is eaten at all on the third day it is an abomination it will not be accepted and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the holy thing of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. Well, we're not going to get into the niceties of how we offer sacrifices. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. We don't do, if you wanted to think in basic terms, we don't do religion the way we think it ought to be done. If the Lord has instructed us to be a certain way in the New Testament, this is Old Testament, but if the religion is, when Paul says in Corinthians, we recognize no other practice nor do the churches of God, it's supposed to make something clear to you. You are not just having a Lord, your, your um, a God, as center to your love and everything that you are doing, but you understand that that centrality is above you. You are doing this to be accepted, not to be religious. And so the niceties of <coughs> not eating it, uh, the, the benefits of the sacrifices on the third day after it's offered, I'm sorry, those are the rules. You don't get to make new rules because you know things better. Well, what if we have refrigeration? Uh, you do what you're told. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field to its very border. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. 
And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That's a great. That's where uh, Ruth comes into her own, you know, because of she's gleaning in the fields. You know, Boaz notices her and has some extra left behind, especially for her. It's some kind of romantic in a Bible sort of way. I also like gleaning as a concept for the poor. It says, yeah, it's out in the field. Knock yourself out. Because it says at least you don't own any property. You are enough of an honorable person that you would know you'd have to go work for it. You have to go pick it up. But notice what kind of person is being described by someone who can remind us all the time, I am the Lord, your God. What kind of life is that? This is covering everything from how you treat your mother, how you do a sacrifice, leaving stuff in the field for the poor. What kind of person are you? The more you draw close to God, you know that famous verse in 2 Corinthians 3, the we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. The more you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, the more effect and the wider effect that has on who you are in the most immediate of circumstances. Your sacrifices, your field, your parents. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You know, sometimes when you're in counseling situations, there is no place to grasp in the person's life that will undo their complete trapped mind about they're a liar or they steal stuff they can't, they're kleptomaniacs, you know, they steal anything not nailed down. And you know you can explain to them, you know, stealing is wrong, right? You shouldn't be lying to people. What does it seem like it's needed to... Some people just lie because it's available. The only advice you could give them in some cases is say, well, you obviously don't know God. We're covering that also in Wine, Wisdom, and Song out of 1 John about uh, when it's dealing with... uh, this, by this you may know who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. He who does right is righteous. We know that when you know God, righteousness is the inevitable conclusion. You cannot stand in the presence of God and persist in your own unrighteousness. 
So a lot of it is this ability to push people back to I am the Lord your God. When they're sinning, whatever the sin, they are just proving they're not children of God, but children of the devil. That's what 1 John is arguing. It's a law of recognition. We can recognize those who know God because knowing God inevitably has this good effect. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until morning. That's that's almost too sweet. That's like a, I know what you're about. What you owe the servant, you don't say, well, I'll pay you tomorrow. He worked for you today. You were willing to collect his work today. It's not saying the guy's not going to pay him tomorrow, but there's something wrong with the heart. When the guy can work for you today, but you didn't have the any kind of sense of obligation that you be ready with the paycheck today. And don't give me any noise that we don't pay like that these days, and we always two weeks, or okay, knock yourself out. Whatever the agreement is, but you pay them. You pay them when you ought to pay them. You shall not curse, <laughs> you shall not curse the deaf. You know what's great about cursing the deaf? They can't hear you. Or put a stumbling block before the blind. I did that. I did, I have to admit. I sinned against my brother. He blinded himself when we were in high school by sitting too long under a sunlamp and uh, reading, of course. Blistered right across the middle of his eyes. You know, just not, could not see no more. We took him to the doctors and so he had to be all bandaged up and he had these gauze pads over his eyes. So first I painted fake eyes on his gauze pads. But then I rearranged the furniture. Which was, had a, a brief entertainment value. Yeah. Cursing the deaf and putting stumbling blocks before the blind. But you shall fear your God. People who one of the reasons when I was warning you about getting invested in other people's business last week because when you are your God the humor value of cursing the deaf and putting stumbling blocks in front of the blind is way up there that's the way I'd like to see the world operate. One laugh riot after another. I'd like to see my, myself getting the, the goods on some other person. You serve you, you start to... Well, it's kind of important that you make other people serve you too. You, know, you struggle with complaining? You know, there's a lot of people who complain. Because somebody else doesn't do things the way you want it done. You have another God you're serving that's demanding that kind of obedience. 
But if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you shall fear your God. It will straighten you up. Do you think your God wants you to be doing that sort of nonsense? When you are the God, yes, your God does want you to be doing that kind of nonsense. You shall do no injustice in judgment. Well, this is interesting. No injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. Hello? <coughs> or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So if you're called into judgment, well, what happens usually? When people are making up their own religion of their own self, their own religion of themselves as their own God, they have these really cute, specious sort of ethics where they try to fix the world, make everything equal. You shouldn't have that much. I remember I was not allowed to sit on a jury once many years ago because I told them I didn't think they should be large awards for pain, you know, uh, emotional distress or something like that. They, gone. They need people who will issue a lot of money to poor people who want to have a lot of money and the insurance company doesn't want to pay them, but we're going to make sure they pay. Well, you can have that sense of ethic, but it's immoral. That's the kind of cheap goodness everyone thinks they can buy by bribing them with somebody else's money. You shall not be partial to the poor. Justice has nothing to do with how much money you make. If a poor man robs a great man, the poor man's got to go to the clink. If a rich man robs a poor man, the rich man has got to go to the clink. You don't defer to the great, you don't be partial to the poor. That's the nature of justice. But when we are not doing it in light of our standing before God, with the remembrance that I am the Lord your God. If I don't do that, I am coming up with my own religion for my own self, and that means my own little petty goodnesses that I think I can work out. And sometimes they take on a life of their own, and everybody thinks it's just sort of absolutely true. You shall not go up and down as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand forth against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I don't know why people slander. I mean, they, they do. They do far more than they are sued for slander. People like saying awful things about other people. And the reason is because we're serving a God ourselves that is benefited, the religion of yourself, is benefited by other people being torn down. So repeating negative stories about other people, repeating gossip, saying things that are, no are not good, whether you believe them to be true or not. You don't stand against the life of your neighbor. Because just like I am proximus to my neighbor, 
The reason my love goes to my neighbor is because of where they stand. They're right there. Right across the property line. I am right across the property line from them. And when you're serving yourself, when you're serving yourself, you don't want to see your neighbor get away with any nonsense against you in your life. You want to make sure they are kept in their place. It's that keeping up with the Joneses. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor, lest you bear sin because of him. I like that. You don't hate, you reason with. You work things out. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, and this is where it came from, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that was a bunch of varieties of a strange collection of advice that points you not to these are really important, they are, but it seemed almost a scattershot good representation of what God kind of wants you to do. If he is your God, this is what sort of person you ought to be. You first have to be sure that the Lord your God is your Lord, is getting all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Otherwise, you do not have anything to give to your neighbor. But when you realize how much of your life, how much of your time would be occupied with fulfilling that first and greatest commandment, what quality of love you'd be giving those who surround you. Um, I would hope the more committed you would be to it. Because uh, we have a lot to do. It's as simple as that. You have a lot to give God. You have a lot of yourself that you need to face God with. And you become a source of great richness to those who are standing immediately around you. The people you show hospitality to, your own children, extended family, people that are standing closest to you and get to see the kind of soul that has been built. Think of the kind of soul that could be built if you gave all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. And not gave it to him. Lord, I commit this to you. And then expect him to do the heavy lifting, picking it up and gracing you in such a way. We look for his grace in it, yes, but you are to love the Lord your God with all of these things. That means, again, to be dearly committed, completely facing him in your centrality of being, your understanding of being, and the things you try to accomplish, your strength. That person becomes, and generally only for the persons that are immediately around you. Just like your love goes to your neighbors, your neighbors are the ones who only, only they really actually witness who you are. 
let's say I wrote a book. Let's say someone published it. Let's say it became a bestseller. I dream of these moments. Say it was very beneficial, big picture of Evan on the back. Evan Wilson, pastor in North Idaho, and some, you know, puffy sort of thing. Someone in Wook, Iowa reads this book. They have no idea if I'm good. They have no idea, because they're not my neighbor. Just like I am given to this person next to me because I was told to be, but that's where the effect is because who I've become in Christ, they witness. We've always struggled with this, uh, Roy and my dad and Mark and various things over the years as we've worked in Christian bookstores. We knew and ran into it repeatedly of people whose lives did not live up to the book they wrote. And you could never be sure when you were listening to a teacher who University Press published whether or not you were listening to a good man or a bad man. I told you, I think it was last week, that Darren Patrick, famous megachurch pastor, stumbled, shall we say, we'll just not go any further than that, removed from office. He and his wife had just published a book on marriage and let us just say his stumbling was in that arena. There is a reason that God wants it to be your neighbor. It's not that are better people than people on the other side of the world, but your neighbor can see you. You've heard me tell that joke of the pastor I had. Not a joke, it was an anecdote from my Southern Baptist pastor back in California when some girl in his church said we should have a, they should have a revival in the next town over. They should lead a re- their church should lead a revival in the next town. Or he said, well, well, why don't we have a revival here? She said, well, they know us here. Ever felt that temptation to get into some situation where at a distance you can for a short period of time pretend to be godly? If it's your neighbor, you've got to be godly. If it's your neighbor, you have got to have been changed by your obedience to the first commandment. So that the self that is being given to your neighbor, the love that is given to your neighbor, is quality. Lastly, here in Romans 13, it's another passage that goes back to this issue. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. This is the centerpiece. In the Christ, in the Apostles, even in the Old Covenant, in the Law, there it is, standing on the page, saying, you know, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Christ didn't make it up. Christ didn't make up a new ethic. 
he was asked which of the law was the greatest. This is the one. We're Christians. Our Christ, our God, expects us to love like this. We should be laboring to create this in ourselves. Asking God to help us love. And I would recommend that you think about loving your God first. It doesn't say be all heart towards him, all mind towards him, all uh, strength towards him. It's love him in all these areas. Give yourself in love to God. You don't, you know, there are unpleasant people in the world that are hard to love. They are not lovely. They are not enjoyable. They're bad conversation. They smell bad. Some of them. And you're saying to yourself, is he talking about me? Maybe. You shall love. Doesn't ask if the person is lovable. And so we, need, we know we need some spiritual game. We need to become loving people. Because it's not reaction to this person. My neighbor isn't always guaranteed to be nice. They're guaranteed to be my neighbor. Chesterton says that uh, this is one of the most insulting com- uh, commandments because they're, you got no choice as to who your neighbor is. It's, the, it, it's, a, it's a category that doesn't matter just who's standing close to you, who's in front of you, who walked across your path today. I have to love them. That means you have to be the kind of person that would love whatever came through the door. Which means you have to be loving. You have to be made nice. That's why you go back to the first commandment to establish it all, which is you give everything of yourself to God. You become like God. You look upon the face of God and you are then changed into a loving person. It's a big undertaking. But it's really a matter of choice. It really is. It's not like this is hard to understand and I kind of know a lot about theology. No, you just have to know that God is there and I should be pursuing him in every aspect of my life. I should want what he is. So you first have to ask yourself, am I there? Do I want who God is? So that we can become who God wants us to be so that our neighbors go, hey, I like my neighbor. Because we have said we can love our neighbor because of what God has made us. Well, I know you will probably want me to preach for another half hour, but I'm done. So let's pray. Let's thank God. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for your goodness to us, your love, by your nature. We're grateful that you cannot deny yourself. And Lord, make us, by looking to you, like you, that we can give your love to our neighbors. Fill our lives with this, Lord. In your son's name, amen.